Welcome to the Professional Ag Marketing Podcast. If you want a deep dive into the ag markets and risk management strategies, your search is over. Come here after every Friday to get your weekly commodity recap. Trading commodity futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. This is your host, Mike Miner. Let's get started. Today is March 10th, and I've got Pat with us here today. How's it going, Pat? Good, Mike. How are you? We are doing very good. Uh, very good. We've got a couple fun topics to talk about today. We're going to talk about the WASDE report that came out this week and uh, a little bit about what that has for implications on the grain markets going forward. And then I want to start with talking about some of the Fed changes this week and a little bit of the Silicon Valley Bank and uh, some of the uh, some of the topics floating around to close out our week with that, Pat. How's that sound? Yeah, I appreciate the conversation, Mike. I, uh, you know, Chairman uh, uh, Powell was uh, in front of uh, Congress. Uh, was it this week or last week? This yep, week. This week. Uh, with some conversations, and then as you as you mentioned, there was a fairly significant uh, uh, issue in Silicon Valley as it relates to banking and lending. And so, I am interested to hear your thoughts and and uh, analysis on those subjects because we all know that uh, you know the impact of these outside markets, the impact of you know the economy, and and all of that has a has a, a major. Uh, impact on uh, our commodities. And so uh, looking forward to that discussion. Awesome. Well, let's start with the Fed here. So Fed Chair Powell, uh, he spoke earlier this week and uh, basically said that the latest economic data came in stronger than expected. And uh, that kind of suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is uh, likely to move higher than what they previously anticipated. So uh, the data so far is indicating that faster tightening is probably warranted uh, and they would increase rates further coming forward than previously expected. Uh, we're looking at a reversal pretty much from what they expected probably about a month ago after that economic <clears throat> day. Right. So now the, the opinion is then, well, Powell's saying we have to continue to raise interest rates. Yes. So we will likely get another rate hike when? Uh, March 21st and 22nd is yep. the next meeting. So coming up pretty quickly here. And then the jobs report. Do you know that off the top of your head? Didn't we we, we had a few more job starts this week than what was expected as well? Yes, they were expecting like 225, uh, 225,000 added jobs, and they added like 315 or so um, or something like that. So it was more than expected, um, which is still problematic. So like in Powell's terms here, that, that data came out today or this morning here, so he didn't know that, for example, but, but it goes right along within line of there's no data right now that shows him that they've tightened too much. It's working, even. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Do you think it's working? In ways, and we'll get to that in, right. in, in by the end of all this, but um, yeah, they're, they were expecting uh, a quarter... Um, a hike here coming in March at the end of the month, and they'll they're expecting a half of a percent hike now. So uh, they essentially have moved the peak of the Fed funds target from five point one percent is what they're expecting going into this year to all the way up to five point seven five. Now they thought the peak could go up to, and uh, right now the current Fed funds rates at four point six two five. And, uh, you know, just a year ago, it was like 0.375%. So uh, they raised really quickly, but a lot of people would say they probably started raising too late, uh, you know, so to each their own. But some of that has 
kind of spurred into the talk now of uh, today was a big day in history. Um, the Silicon Valley Bank is the second largest bank failure in USA history, and that happened this week, today actually. The uh, the largest casualty so far from the free free money printing spree of the government during COVID, uh, which triggered inflation. This is the first casualty of it, and you know the Silicon Valley Bank they uh, they've been closed by California regulators now. It, it's seemingly owned basically by the FDIC at this point by the end of the week, and for them to come out at the end of the week too with all of this kind of in the eleventh hour of trade, uh, they also said isn't the very isn't the best signal going into the weekend um, for for the status of how this bank is. Uh, sitting currently. So a very uh, interesting topic that does not happen every day. Um, for for example, if, if we're looking at um, the size of this bank failure, um, they're right around uh, $209 billion. The 2008 Washington mutual collapse, that was $307 billion. So like the next one under this would have been $40 billion. That collapse. So why so did the bank huge. fail? So uh, there's a couple different items. So the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates from the record low level since last year in a bid to fight inflation like we just talked about. And investors have less appetite for risk when it comes to money available to them because it, because it, it becomes expensive due to the higher interest rates. And this is weighed on the technology startups especially hard. And uh, the, the primary clients of Silicon Valley uh, of the Silicon Valley Bank, um, because of their investors are more risk uh, adverse in, in nature or risk averse in nature. So uh, the, a lot of these tech startups had started to raise money in 2021 and spelled and spend a bunch of money to build their businesses. And the second round of that money would have been going on right now for them to raise to start their businesses. And that money just hasn't been available to them at all since these uh, rising interest rates and um, people just don't want to put that risk on their plate. So in a sense, someone like JP Morgan or someone uh, like that of a bigger, more diverse nature will likely get the money for them instead. Um, it does leave a huge hole in the tech, tech sector in the meantime. Um, the banks are influenced by this. Um, they're heavily concentrated in just the tech sector and venture-backed tech, for example. Um, so it's not one of those things like one bank fails, they all bail, all fail, like we saw in 2008, right? It was uh, a situation then that the, the government really needed to bail us out, or some would say we'd probably still be in a recession today if they didn't. This is very concentrated on just the tech sector, for yep, example. Understood. So, so it, it's, um, they, they announced, um, I'm not sure the timing earlier this week, a big loss on bond holdings. Mm -hmm. And so therefore had some plans to raise capital as the word got out that they were starting looking for plans to raise capital that uh, impacted the confidence the depositors had in that lending institution. And uh, it uh, resulted in sort of a run on withdrawals. Like exactly. Like trying to full, pull, pull deposits. And so, um, so I, 
apologize for putting you on the spot here. I didn't talk about this before we started the podcast, but um, w- why did they have a big loss on bond holdings? So they had their assets tied up in bond holdings. What happened there? They they had, couldn't raise the money acceptable with what interest rates were doing to justify their business, essentially. So as interest rates went up, they couldn't get enough money raised to satisfy the businesses that they were um, yeah, raising capital for. Okay. So it, it was just not they couldn't find the money available at, at this point. Well, regardless, at the end of the day, they had they had overvalued assets on their balance sheet. Yeah. Like no matter how it all happened, they had overvalued uh, uh, assets on, on balance sheet and, and uh, needed to raise some capital as a result. And uh, those efforts, well, um, may or may not have ended up uh, – ultimately being successful it uh, didn't matter once everyone said i got to get my money out of this place mm-hmm. right and so um so anyway i i think it's um i think it's good that we try to talk through all of that i appreciate your observation as it relates to um a lot of these things happening uh, towards the end of market trading on a friday so we'll see how how markets react uh, going into next week but uh um this is a another example and so anytime you're talking about the second biggest ever, and the last one was 2008, that kind of thing. Um, you know, anytime you're talking about these things, those, those are at a, mm-hmm. at a minimum noteworthy, and at a maximum, um, uh, it, it, uh, is, it, it's concerning, right, as it relates to just how uh, uneasy, unstable uh, these macro outside markets are. And so when Chairman Powell is, is uh, presenting in front of Congress this week, Mike, and, and uh, talking about his, uh, the, the need for him to continue to raise interest rates, perhaps at a faster pace than had, had previously uh, been advertised, is, is what I heard mm-hmm. you say earlier in this conversation, um, it uh, is another reminder for me, at least, that this is still the great experiment. Right. I mean, we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years, but, you know, we're still coming off of a hundred year pandemic, not a four year cycle, not an eight year cycle, not since 2008. It's a hopefully once a century pandemic that we're that we're coming off of. And this is a, a, a great experiment in terms of printing money uh, and uh, encouraging folks to stay at home and and shut down the U.S. economy to you know, to a point where it's on life support and then kick it back into gear and, uh, and, and try to, to get it back up to speed again without, without speeding too much. Right. And I don't know if that's a great analogy mm-hmm. or not, but for me, me, at least in my simple mind, it makes some sense. And, and so we're hitting a rough patch this week, right. In terms of, of getting this economy back up to a speed that's the right speed and not going too fast. And, and so, um, maybe it's as simple as, uh, you know the Silicon Valley Bank uh, got got caught up in the in, in going too fast and and uh, is going to 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 uh, have to have to uh, go broke because of it. So and I know we had some podcasts before this too, based upon like the cryptocurrency market, like that collapse yep. was right mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley in the last year, and we talked about some of the implications something like that would have. This could probably be one of those. Yep, exactly. Results. So. Well, stay tuned. See what happens. Let's talk. Uh, let's get back to our world of uh, yeah. corn and soybeans and hogs and cattle and wheat and those sorts of things. Wasday report this week. Wasday report this week. 
came out. Uh, we've been experiencing a little bit of a corn uh, collapse here recently, and uh, part of that struggle's been just demand in general. So the WASDA report, when that came out and showed that export sales were 75 million bushels lower than last month, it, it wasn't uh, it was expected to an extent. Uh, they finally did it. We've been kind of waiting for that as we've been trending quite a bit below the pace needed to hit the USDA's projections. So for them to come out and finally do that, that was good. The other major change we saw in the report on uh, out of the USDA was the adjustment in the Argentina number down to 33 million metric tons of soybean production, which that gets them very close to where private analysts have been trading. It was a big move from last month's 41 million metric tons. So those were the two main hitters in the report that I caught, Pat, as uh, most people would have caught as well. But I I don't think there was any major shocks to it. It was just a little bit like, huh, those are pretty good moves for the USDA compared to what they normally do. Yeah, not a lot of ton of argument on the numbers other yeah. than it seems uh, pretty obvious that the 75 million drop in exports isn't enough, Yep. right? So, um, we're probably, that number's probably going to get adjusted smaller yet as we go through this old crop marketing year. So that means that projected ending stocks for the crop year that we're in probably continues to creep higher here you know we we've worked from 11512 up to 135 we're going to end up potentially over 1.5 billion or 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 better said it's better to express these things in terms of of stocks to use percentage we're more and more than likely going to go from you know around an 8% projected stocks to use ratio up over 10% stocks wow. to use and that does two things for you, right? It it uh, it uh, changes the old crop balance sheet, but it also increases the carry-in for next year and starts to make the next balance sheet potentially uh, um, you know, bigger, more comfortable. What, however, yeah. one sort of looks at those things, and so um, that's worth uh, that's worth observing. I think the other observation I'd like to make about that is I'm, uh, you know, the the. The market doesn't always get everything right. It's the market's job to get prices levels up to an appropriate level that rations demand to the point of of meeting the available supply. Pretty simple Mm -hmm. comments. And they're kind of doing that. They they may have overdone it is the point, right? So the market works, but it's possible since we're increasing ending stocks already in March, right? Like I didn't go back and look this up, but I suspect that I'm right about this. If, if you go back to previous years when, when, this, when the market was needing to ration, right? Supply was lower than last year's demand. Again, mm-hmm. to oversimplify this observation, it usually didn't have it all rationed out and over rationed by the time you got to March, right? right I, sure. I'm thinking it would take until May or June or July before we actually got the old crop balance sheet to fit the supply. And so I think it's possible that, uh, uh, just, just make that observation that the market this year uh, probably got prices up to a high enough level where it rationed demand, and it may have it may have over rationed demand. In fact, that's what the bal- the last two months is saying. You, the month over month balance sheet is saying we're actually increasing ending stocks now without adjusting supply. So we've we've maybe taken prices up recently to levels that over rationed against the available supply. And so I'm going to beat that up too much, but I think mm-hmm. it's worth I think it's worth observing. Um, and it will be interesting to see what the reaction is. 
Um, part of the reason why we had some higher markets this afternoon is rumors that that uh, you know China might be looking at some U.S. corn here. Um, is rumors that uh, you know maybe the Russian-Ukraine crisis is going to create some challenges that relates to a Black Sea a wheat movement, those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that plays out next week. But we might you know these levels that we traded down to might start to stimulate some old crop demand that that otherwise would have been unexpected. And I don't want to overlook the Russia and wheat situation because wheat's still extremely overpriced compared to the Black Sea region. So Russia has been having a lot of cheap wheat that they can export out. And as we're pulling this wheat market down, it seems like every other day of 20 cents here, 20 cents there, uh, that has a very direct correlation to the corn market. So as money pulls wheat lower so it pulls corn lower as well and uh, you know Russia maybe doesn't necessarily need to sign the grain export corridor extension but I know China would really like them to and China likes to buy a lot of grain from Ukraine and Russia might want to give China a little bit of favor sign that deal get it get it through they got a lot of grain they got to export to anyways uh so that'll be something uh, to kind of help their buddy out and way. there's a geopolitical issue with all of yeah. that too right we're we're uh, uh supporting in in many different ways the uh, uh the, the the ukrainian side of that conflict mm-hmm. at the same time the chinese are benefiting greatly from the russian chinese conflict cheap oil cheap wheat from from russia and ukraine specifically and so there you connect all the dots as it relates to uh, uh increased geopolitical tension yeah. between the u.s and china right mike and so um so I don't know how good a job we just did there, sort of going from uh, macro to micro back up to macro again. But uh, um, hopefully uh, um, it's uh, we can at least appreciate how intertwined all of these things are that we're talking about. And, you know, just to sort of wrap things up here, Mike, I would just say that, uh, you know, it's just uh, I guess this week is another reminder of uh, the uh, uh, the high level of volatility that uh, are associated with all of these markets, and and uh, fortunately we have many different tools at our disposal to manage those things, and uh, we sure look forward to the opportunity to visiting with anybody as it relates to uh, uh, the best ways to apply those tools in a way that makes sense for your operation. Thank you, Pat, and thank you to all our listeners. Please reach out to us at professionalagmarketing.com. Check out our other podcast as well, Professional Ag Marketing, that's released every Friday. Trading commodity futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. See you next time.